0: Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, Today is episode 101 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast and uh, program number or episode number 13 of Bubba and the Batflip. So I am once again... Uh, joined by Bubba uh, or I guess I joined Bubba since he's the one who uh, records these lovely podcasts but really excited to go over the middle infield position so taking a look at three players that we got right and that we got wrong at second base and shortstop as well as just a little bit of a preview at what we what we anticipate. Uh, second base shortstop and middle infield will look like heading into next year draft. So should be a good show. It, was, it did start on a little bit of a down note because we received word right before the podcast that Bubba's favorite team, the San Francisco Giants, uh, have selected Gabe Kapler as their manager. And anybody who knows Bubba knows that Bubba is not a fan uh, of Gabe Kapler. And so he's a little bit down. We almost canceled the podcast, not really, but, um, you know, he, he was a little down on it, but he was, uh, he was a good sport about joking around about, uh, about uh, his, his, his favorite team being uh, run by his least favorite potentially manager. So anyways, let's hop uh, right to the show, uh, middle infielder review and look towards 2020. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can reach uh, Bubba at KCDentrek on Twitter. Uh, he's a great follow, so definitely give him a follow if you aren't already. Uh, and then if you ha- uh, enjoy the podcast or um, this podcast, previous podcast, whichever podcast, please do go to uh, iTunes. Leave a rating and review. Always super appreciative when folks uh, do that. So thank you very much. All right, that's enough. Let's get this party started.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 13, edition 13, whatever the proper way is to say It's lucky number 13 is all I know. And we're going to recap the fantasy baseball middle infield positions, second base and shortstop with a look ahead to 2020 like we did for the corner infields. It was kind of a fun way to look at some of the goods and the bads and kind of just do a, a full-on talk about it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BDN and the Bat Flip portion of this podcast. My good old partner in crime here to help break it all down. You can find him on Twitter at batflipcrazy. Crazy. Toby, how we
0: doing, man? Well, I guess the question is, Bubba, how are, how are you doing? It, it might be the unlucky number 13. Of the podcast yeah. with the news of uh, Gabe Kapler being hi- hired by your beloved Giants, I wanna I wanna get a, a test of how close you are to the edge, right? Now.
1: Oh, it's uh, yeah, if it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's good, it's it's good. <laughs> um, I'm not excited about it. Anybody that's listened to anything I've done or watched any of my tweets involving the Giants managerial situations for about the last six months has known how little I want to do with Gabe Kapler, and it was pretty much writing on the wall from the beginning. When that uh, Farhand's guy from play, uh, he worked underneath them, their buddies, so on and so forth. So uh, we'll see. As long as Farhand keeps controlling the players that come in, I can cross my fingers that it'll work just fine. I'm more, uh, I guess I, it could be worse. I could be the Giants PR team right now because they are getting blown up by everybody yeah. and their mom about everything bad Gabe Kapler has done in his past. So um it could as, be a lot as worse. They, as
0: as they should. As they Yes.
1: Should. As they should. And I'm just sitting there going, I just I'm more angry that he's gonna be managing my lifelong baseball team, let alone all the other stuff. And um, yeah, I, I guess the Giants, you know, that was part of the stories early on. Hank Schulman. A lot of the beat writers mentioned it. It's like the the Giants like him, but is it worth the uh the baggage that comes with that the media hits that are gonna come with it? Apparently they thought it was. So uh we'll see how it goes it's an interesting move to say the least uh, we'll see you know maybe he'll bring some of his coconut oil and all other good stuff with the other hippies in san francisco and we'll see how it works but or or he'll be homeless with them soon. See, my dog my dog loves Kepler that much too it's, it's <laughs> amazing. like your he's, dog he's, your
0: dog is upset there's some every time, every time there's I say his name having. he gets
1: he gets angry so you've yeah. trained him well <laughs> yeah pretty crazy Yeah, he needs to stop, but uh, all right, let's get into this middle infield world, so I don't talk Gabe Kapler anymore, (laughs) but um, it was a fun world, we had certain expectations going into 2019, maybe a little different for second base and shortstop, but what was your initial thoughts on the middle infield position as a whole last season?
0: Yeah, well, I don't know if you noticed, Bubba, but I actually I wiped out the full agenda for our podcast, and we're just going to talk about Game Kepler. That's actually it. That's all the agenda for the rest of the time. But and I'm that's really the end sorry. of the show, folks. Um, I got see, see everyone uh, later. Uh, so for middle infield heading into last year, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you. I won't mention Game Kepler one more time. Oh, um, I I I, 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 I don't think you're telling the truth there. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Uh. It's too bad we're not doing outfield. Gabe Kapler would have been oh, one of gosh. my misses from like or or ninety seven or something.
1: or if we were doing bullpen, we could talk like bullpen management and make <laughs> oh, sure guys warmed up ahead like, of time.
0: I'd like Will Smith for a thousand, please. Yes. There um, you go. <laughs> uh. So. Uh. Getting back to middle infield and away from Gabe Kapler. Uh. So I think heading into this year, you know, for me, I really thought about it as two separate positions, which they are, of course. But like shortstop was. Uh, I think a lot of folks expected it to be be a pretty deep position I think we were all kind of surprised when we dove in and uh, there was there was kind of a three guys heading into the year that I was targeting later on in drafts if I didn't get a shortstop earlier like Adalberto Mondesi or something like that Um, and that was um, Jorge Polanco, Marcus Semyon, and Andrelton Simmons and so three of those obviously worked out or two of those three worked out and we'll cover them later on but there was just so much uh, depth to the position later on. And I think we're even seeing that it was kind of like there was high expectations heading in. And I think, uh, I think, you know, folks outperformed those expectations because a lot of those guys that were going later on in drafts had really great seasons. And the guys who did who were being drafted early on still had great seasons. So I think we're kind of heading into another golden age of shortstop productivity, when I think of that, I think of like when A. Rod and Nomar and Jeter and all those guys were kind of coming through shortstop. It had previously been kind of a defense first position, but we're seeing uh, we're seeing a new crop and even an old crop of shortstops who are just uh, who are just crushing the ball. So second base, I was a little bit um, you know lower on heading into this season, and and as a result, I wasn't as into the middle infield spot as, as usual. Like there was the shortstop guys kind of going late, but there wasn't as many second basemen. I think that I was interested in, I ended up with a lot of Adam Frazier, uh, who was a guy that I thought was going to do really well as my middle infielder in 15 team leagues. So, and I think second base overall was like a little disappointing this year. You know, you had guys who made big jumps like uh, Ketel Marte. And if you had him, then you, you felt pretty good about it. But like even the guys up at the top, like Altuve, Merrifield, they were okay, but at least from a stolen base perspective, they were pretty disappointing. And I think a lot of folks were, were kind of banking on them for, for those stolen bases. So, you know, that's kind of how I saw the it playing out a little bit. And I think shortstop ended up better than I expected in the second base, maybe even a little bit worse than I anticipated. What about you? What were your thoughts kind of heading into the season for the position?
1: We're, we're on the same page for the most part. I thought shortstop was super deep. I, when I did my position previews, it was one of the ones I enjoyed doing because it's like after five or six guys, like in certain positions, it just kind of falls apart. Where shortstop, you can go and go and go. You mentioned Simeon, Polanco, Willie Adamis. Those are guys I had in the back end of my top 20, which most people had 25 later. There was a lot of depth that I, I liked at the position where you could either have waited or say you took a Trey Turner early or something, you'd have a really good middle infield option later in the draft where you didn't have to get crazy aggressive on it. Where at second base, like you mentioned, it seemed pretty top heavy with your Altuves. Merrifield disappointed compared to what we'd expect where you were drafting him, so on and so forth at second base. It wasn't nearly the depth that shortstop was, like you're saying. And that was a big, a big difference of the positions. it seemed like almost you either had to just get lucky at the second-base position or you had to grab them pretty darn early to make it happen for you. Uh, just looking back at my second-base rankings, and when we talk about uh, hits and misses, you, you'll hear exactly why I screwed that one up big time. But shortstop, <laughs> much deeper, much better, and uh, I liked it a lot more. And Even – I won't go into the whole – we'll do the end for the 2020, but early looks, early mock drafts we've done – Shortstop's just going to be stupid deep again. Like you mentioned, it looks like we're going to be in for a a multi year run here of just shortstop domination. That's going to be pretty fun to watch because they're all a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are pretty darn young. And if you just imagine Machado and Correa doing it, like coming back to the pack, that would be even crazier. But we'll go into that a little later on. Let's get into the second base position here. We'll start like we did last week three we got right, three we got wrong, and it'll lead to some more open
0: discussions here. Well, why don't you kick it off? Who was the first guy that you got wrong
1: at the second base position?
0: Yeah, and you're right. I mean second second base really uh, kicked my butt this year. Um, when I thought about like the guys that I got right, it was literally like, I might be able to say I got this guy right, but like every mm-hmm. single player was pretty much me getting somebody who sucked right, you know, like me predicting somebody was not going to do well, which is never as never feels as good as predicting somebody's going to do well. So with that being the theme, my number one was Jerkson Profar. Um, I initially liked him, just looking looking at his profile towards the end of last season. I think I picked, picked him up in the 2018 two early mock drafts. But then as I dug in, I was really concerned about the situation in Oakland, what that would do to his power. I didn't think he was going to run as much as he even ended up running when he got nine stolen bases. But I just didn't see a lot to love in the um, – in the underlying profile, despite the good contact skills to, despite the plate discipline like he's never really been able to have a high Babbit which he needs to succeed from an average perspective and so. Um, I ended up getting that one right, he ended up turning it on a little bit towards the end, but that 218 batting average and those counting stats was definitely. Uh, a lot less than pokes were were bargaining for I think drafting him around an ADP of 120 so. That is the uh, the first one that I got right was Jerks and Profar. But I don't want to take up too much time because I know this next one uh, for <laughs> you is a, is, a, is definitely a big point of pride.
1: Yeah, this one I was very happy on. And Jerks and Profar, I thought he was going to be much better than he was. I didn't draft him anywhere because there were many people that thought even higher of him than I did. But I was shocked by how bad it was for Profar this year. Uh, my guy, Jonathan VR. This guy I had in so many places, he was tremendous in uh, helping me. I didn't win anything, but it helped me like finish uh, high in TGFBI and, and other spots. I had him ranked ninth at second base for me, which was still higher than a lot of people because you, you came into the season hearing the stories of, oh, he can't do it again. I'm, you know, he's on the Orioles, all these things. And, you know, he had one down year in between some really good production. And he's going to run like crazy. He's with the Orioles again this year, and I'm already hearing the buzz now. It's, well, they're going to trade him and all this stuff. You don't know that. Like, they they should. Will they? I don't know. But you can't go into the season going, I can't draft John VR because of this. Now, is he, is he going to have the power numbers he had this past year? Probably not. Like, let's just be real about it. If you look at his stat cast metrics, the barrel rate, the hard hit rate, uh, all the X stats, they're, they're bad. Like, he's one of those outlier guys that – the bouncy ball probably helped out quite a bit without going super deep on this. He, he got a big bump, but if you think about it, he went from 14 homers to 24. If he still hit 15 homers and stole me 40 bags, I'd still be over the moon. Um, he hit 274 year before was 260 similar BABIPs, So maybe he got a little luckier on certain things than you would expect. But still, when you drafted him where you drafted him in the past, he was outstanding. If you would have got the year before his production, you'd have been thrilled Now, going into uh, 2020, you are going to pay a little bit more of a premium. I'm pretty sure I took him in the two early mocks. I'd have to go back and double check. But you're going to have to snipe him in like the third, fourth round at the latest, I believe, uh, in the early mocks. I'll I'll pull those up here in a minute. But he's going to go a lot higher this year. I still think he's worth it. I think this guy's very good. Um, People forget he's only going to be turning 29 next season. Super young. The Orioles have no reason not to let him go crazy because they want to trade him, so let him steal and and up his production. I think he's a great pick next year, and he was tremendous in helping me. It's funny. Two years ago, he helped me do great things. Then he just destroyed me the following year, then he helped me again this year. Let's hope we don't believe in trends. So um, Johnny VR would be my number one that I got right. But like you said, when you started with with Profar, it's hard to make three on this list. That's all I have to say because it's a bad position. But... Who's your number two that we share together?
0: Yeah, my number two uh, is he's actually not eligible at second base (laughs) this upcoming year. Uh, That's Johan Moncada. I like the contact uh, rate increase that he had towards the end of 2018. He already had uh, really strong plate discipline, so that's just a really nice combination there. Um, And so, you know, and then I think when you dove into his strikeout rate for 2018, And there was some research done. I don't know who it was, but um, if I did, I would would cite them. But essentially indicating that on borderline pitches, like right on the corner or like even outside the zone, that he got really lucky in 2018 in terms of getting called strikes. And so chances were that that was going to regress to the mean, and, and it did this year. Um, and so I had him, uh, on at least a couple, uh, couple teams, including my, uh, my successful main event team. And so, uh, he was definitely a guy who, you know, who, who gave back a lot. And I think this year, again, like, remember, he's still a young guy. He's just been around for so long. I think this year he's still, I don't think he's getting the credit he deserves. I think he's going like an ADP around like eight, between 80 and a hundred right now. Um, and I, I think that's a nice spot for him. Al Melkier, I'll give him a shout out. Uh, he did a really great article kind of comparing Mankata to uh my uh my favorite player, Chris Bryant, and how Mankata was going like, you know, 30, 40 picks later than Bryant was, but there was a lot of arguments to be made about how Mankata was actually the more valuable player straight up. So um anything I can do to kind of crap on Chris Bryant, I will, <laughs> I will take that opportunity. But Yohan Mankata is 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 one that I did get at least a little bit right on this year.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what what I'll say too, is I got him a little bit right. Like I was high on him. I had him 13th in my rankings, which I guess was kind of where people had him maybe slightly higher, but I was big on him. Like there was guys ahead of him. It's like, I tell people when we we do rankings and maybe you're the same way, Toby, I know you do more uh, projections and stuff that kind of helps you give your argument for your rankings. And When I do mine, it's like there's certain guys I have ranked ahead of them because I just know in reality, if you're drafting, you have to have them ranked ahead of them because that's where they're going to go. Um, If I ranked everybody that, like, I wouldn't, I would rank, I had Javi Baez third. I didn't want to pick Javi Baez, so I should have had him like 27th in reality or something because I'm not going to pick him, but that's just not how it works. So Moncada really was higher on my to do list. I was like, VR, I had ranked ninth. He was higher on my to do list, if that makes sense to anybody. Um, but one thing I loved about Moncada this year, and he was really fun to really kind of dig into doing day, uh, DFS on the daily. He was one of the guys that really helped me learn about him more. His just overall approach to the plate improved. His uh, splits they still aren't great because he's a switch hitter, but they're so much better than they've been in recent years. Like it's not a like a handcuff like it used to be. They used to in the in the years past would debate sitting him against lefties. He actually became very productive against lefties. Uh, when they moved him around the batting order, when they bought, they hit him in front of Abreu and, and Jimenez, things just ballooned for him in a big, big way in the second half of the season. Hopefully that's a thing to come in uh, Chicago. Like you said, two early mocks. He's going around pick 87 uh, that we did. And I know we'll do some more mock drafts, say January or so, get a better idea of where things are going. But his, his, his improvements, his bat-to-ball skills – he, he improved his barrel rate from 9.6 to 12.2. Doesn't seem like much, but that's a big deal. Like that, that's really impressive stuff. And he still has a low launch angle, which it shows why he had so many good line drives and everything and still not getting the home run rates you'd, you'd maybe expect. But, you know, his hard hit rate's up to 47.9, which is a career high. And something i really love to see his walk rate wasn't as high as I'd like, but his, his strikeout rate two years ago was 32%. Last year, 33.4. This year, 27.5. If he can keep developing improvements on that, that'll be tremendous. Like, cause he's still, like you said, he's young. I believe he turns 25 next season. He's still got a lot of development to go. And the last thing I'll mention on him is, cause I, I, I like him a lot. Like you do. I, I'm still learning more and more, but I really love the ex WOBA on contact ex will bacon. I like that one a lot. Cause that gives me even a more of an idea of what they do when they put the ball in play. And that really gets my, gets me excited. I, and I'm not great at analytics. I'm still learning as I go, but that's one I'm liking to focus on a little bit more, and his was 478 last year, and that is outstanding. So with dude, him, it's who always been bu-
0: bacon, Baba. That's probably
1: what. See, that's probably what half the listeners are going like, Baba, you're a big dude. We know you like bacon, <laughs> so no wonder you're attracted to that column over there. But yeah. um, but uh, it's just like yeah, there's certain guys I dig into. You know, you do the Woba minus X Woba. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't because it's just like some guys got unlucky. or lucky. But then you look at that that Will Bacon, and you're just like, okay, that stands out. Like that's a big jump from years mm-hmm. past. And I could be over, I could be over analyzing it, but what he did last year was big. And I hope they keep him in the top of that order. So Yoan Mankata, big fan of him, going to 2020, and we got him kind of right this past year. Definitely. Who's your third guy?
0: Um, my third guy, and one last thing on Mankata, just looking at his profile again, is the ground ball rate went up by five percent. Uh, which is interesting at forty two point three percent, right around league average. So there's actually, uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier earlier on when you were talking, but there's there's more power in that bat. Yeah, you know, that launch angle he,
1: dropped down to twelve percent last year from fifteen. Yeah, like he, it, it hurt him a little
0: bit. He can lift that up a little bit. It could be. Uh, it could be something, especially in that ballpark. Special, yeah, definitely. And also his O swing oh. fell back, like it, yeah, it, uh, increased by by ten percent. So he was wow. being a little bit more aggressive. I think it was actually now I'm remembering the tweet. It was his in zone contact rate, which was going, which was increasing a lot um, towards the end of last year, which which had me like him. Anyways, enough about Yoan Moncada. Uh, the one that I, the other one that I got right for second base was Garrett Hampson. I got got it right by get him getting it wrong. Uh, I didn't really buy into the hype. I know he was one of the kind of real hyped guys heading into the drafts. I didn't own any shares in my 14 leagues um at least initially i picked him up uh, towards the end of some some leagues when he really turned it on but i was really worried about him being a little overmatched in the big leagues just based on the small sample size that we had in 2018 um it started out that way he definitely improved as we got into september and i think he's a he's a nice little upside pick heading into next year i think the helium is going to be big it'll be interesting to see whether he gets some at bats but I was lucky and correct in avoiding him in 2019. Who's your uh, who's your number three?
1: Yeah, with Hampson, I had nothing to do with him either. I'm real curious to see what he does this year. Do the Rockies screw up another good thing? Because we saw how it ended. That'll be fun to watch. My number three is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I was in love with this man last season. Between second base, shortstop, middle infield, he was going super late in drafts. I picked him up in a lot of places, and it started out as bad as you can imagine. It was, they even sent him down to AAA. It was so yep. bad, he got sent to AAA after like three weeks. And I'm sitting there going, oh, no. Like I, I, I waved the Lord is flag. It was one of those ones that I had Rob Silver on a preseason match with Bubba, and he flat out told me he's not a good ball player because he's got defensive flaws, and they don't want to risk that with him. Okay. And, they, and he was right. And then he fixed things in the minors. Like in that little, little moment where sometimes it works for these guys and they send them down and sometimes it doesn't, something flicked with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And he came back and we look at his end-of-the-year stat line, it was absolutely outstanding. Uh, you know, finished with a 277 average, 20 homers. I'd like a little more steals, but he's not a steals guy. That's just not what he does. But his overall stat line in 84 games was just great. His hard hit rate started really uh, getting going. Finished here with a 44% hard hit rate. Um, 11 percent barrel rate lots to like with Gurriel uh and I think he's gonna keep getting better another young piece you know you, you got him with Gavin Beasio and Vadito and company there there's a lot to like with Gurriel and right now in those two early mocks that we do with Mason he's going about to pick 156 on average right now which is some pretty decent value I think and I know went pretty late the, the the pitcher list mocks as well so, Lourdes is a guy similar uh, to some other guys. We're talking about a shortstop. There was a group of players. Like, I had I him ranked 20th on my second base list. There was a group of players, the back end of drafts. If I didn't have middle infield, I felt very comfortable with still. Lordis was one of them uh, going into the season.
0: Yeah. Okay. Teamer yeah. really likes um, Gurriel for next year. Um, if you look at the – Oh, yeah. Yes, he does. He does. Uh, 265 batting average. So that's not great, but I do think, you know, there's some pretty great bat-to-ball skills there. Um, 28 home runs, 81 runs, 84 RBI, and tw- and nine stolen bases, um, which is pretty great. And somebody, I'm trying to figure out um, who put it up, but somebody had a really nice uh, tweet. Um, oh, it was uh, Eric Cross, who's in the uh, draft with us. Um, and he said he was comparing the, um, uh, the 600, uh, at bat pace of Glaber Torres and Lourdes Gurriel. Um, and, um, I think it was somebody else was comparing their, uh, their steamer projections. Uh, but I'm not able to, I'm not able to look at it, but yeah, their steamer projections are pretty similar. And so somebody was just kind of highlighting how, um, you know he might be a value compared to what uh, what Torres is going to get, but you know again Torres is in a isn't a pretty ideal situation there with the Yankees. So
1: yeah, Torres isn't a good spot. But yeah, you look at Torres' steamer, two seventy one average, thirty three homers, eighty four ribby or eighty four runs, ninety two ribbies, seven stolen bases. Overall, kind of similar for the gap in picks. That's a good point. I, like to, I picked I pulled up Paul DeYoung for a second. Very similar as well maybe a little lower average, no stolen bases, but the power runs RBIs are very similar also. So uh, there's depth, but those are all shortstops too. I guess well, Glaber is more second base, but uh, yeah, we'll get to Glaber in a minute. I have yeah. a feeling. And but
0: Lord, uh, Lord is one, one thing people, fantasy owners should be aware of is that Guriel is going to be outfield only next year. So yeah, he lost uh, second base and shortstop eligibility. So you know, it obviously limits a little bit of that, um, of that value, but still where he's going.
1: Yep. No doubt about it. Let's talk about three. We got wrong.
0: I'll let you start with number one. Do do we just have to limit it to three?
1: Well, I know we'd be here all Uh, night if we stayed on second base. I know. Right.
0: Uh, VR is the guy. Um, I didn't own him anywhere. I thought the cost, I thought the cost was going to end up high and it did end up being very high. I think he started out like, Near the 200s in ADP, you know, in January, February, but then by March he was in the well within the 70s and 60 range. Uh, but you know, I thought I thought he was going to take owners down in flames with him, but he didn't. You know, he was great. Some of the keys I think to his success, things I did not see coming: three percent increase in contact, so more balls in play. He's always been a high, uh, relatively high Babbitt guy, but he also is a huge ground ball guy, 55 percent, about 55 percent for his career that decreased 7% this year. So the ground ball percentage was down 7%, which is a huge jump. Um, and so I think that accounts a little bit for the home run totals in addition to uh, the, uh, the slightly uh, the reduced drag ball that we had there that you mentioned in your analysis of him. So, again, like I don't know what's going to happen with VR. He might actually get DFA'd by the Orioles when they have to make that decision because his salary is going to be pretty high. Um, and I'm not sure that they're going to be willing to, uh, to stomach that. And so if they can't work out a trade, I think you might actually see him be a free agent, and it'll be interesting to see where he might end up if that's the case. But uh, I guess we'll find out about that soon.
1: Maybe he'll come to San Francisco. Yes. Look, he'd actually play – he'd actually fill out really well there, now that I think about it. Um, my first one I got wrong, and it's not that he didn't have a good year. Like You look at the Rasball Player Raider. Whit Merrifield is the sixth best second baseman behind VR Marte, Lemayhu, Albies, Escobar. Let's see, Marte, Lemehu Escobar missed them. Danny Santana was after him, missed him. So you know the top ten gets real, real quick. A lot of guys I was not on a second base, but Whit Merrifield, I had him as my second second baseman overall, and he has had a weird statistical season. It's like he hit three hundred two, which is what you wanted, but sixteen or uh, yeah, sixteen homers, four more than last season. Okay but only 20 steals. He had 45 and 34 the previous two years. His run production went through the roof. His RBIs were about the same. So overall, you'd be very happy if he just got his stolen bases. He did not. And you were drafting him for the stolen bases. That's what you drafted him for at that point in the draft. Um, and so for that reason, I definitely got him wrong. When you look at some of his other metrics, his, like I said, his, his overall numbers look the same. You look at his stat cast numbers, hard hit rates, barrel rates strikeouts, walks, you name it. They're all relatively close to each other's. Wobas, ex wobas, all that stuff, all very similar. So it felt weird because throughout the season, it felt like you're really getting screwed by Whit Merrifield. But what you're getting screwed on is he wasn't stealing bases. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. Is that's what you drafted him for, and he didn't do it. He was on a Royals team. He expected to run like crazy, and they really didn't because Mondesi got hurt, and then Billy Hamilton Billy Hamilton. And uh, they still produced in the end, but we're not sure. And now they have Mike Matheny there. And that'll be fun to see how that plays out in Kansas City because Matheny's more old school, likes to kind of like Ned Yost, where we don't like to run run much. So we'll see how that plays out. Yost started two towards the end. Maybe Matheny changes his mindset, lets these boys run wild. Otherwise, I don't know what you have him for in Kansas City. It makes no sense. But uh, Whip Merrifield, he is one I got wrong. Not that he wasn't bad,
0: but uh, wasn't as
1: good as I wanted him to be.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges of. You know, obviously, you need to get stolen bases somehow. One of the challenges of putting a lot of eggs in a in a high stolen base guy basket, um, if you don't kind of build some depth in stolen bases around him, is that when a guy like Merrifield underperforms his stolen base total by 20, it's you big. know, whether it's injury or even being healthy, um, that's huge. And one thing to note on Merrifield is his sprint speed last year actually Dropped. decreased by, yeah, by... Uh, uh, 0.4 so so four tenths of a foot but that dropped him from the 44th fastest player in baseball uh, to the 92nd fastest player in baseball and I'd be interested to see what that um what that number was in the second half because if my mem- memory serves me correctly he just like he just he was a ghost like he just disappeared yeah. on the base paths in the second half after a pretty good start, which is actually the opposite of what he's done. Like him, he, the last couple of years before, he had just really torn it up in the second half when the Royals had nothing to play for. But um, yeah, so let's see. Yeah, 13 stolen bases in the, first, uh, in the first half and seven in the second half. Overall, he was 20 for 30 on the base pass, which is not a great... Number and so, yeah, like your point around Matheny and the fact he's not a stolen base guy that could be detrimental for a guy like Merrifield who doesn't have the elite speed that, um, that Mondesi has.
1: Yeah, if if Merrifield's not running, he basically turns into Johnny VR when he doesn't run, when everyone clowned on Johnny VR, that's who you have now. So, because he'll get you the 15 round 15 hours, maybe. A better comp, if you don't want to go VR, because we we're talking so highly of him, maybe he's a jerks and pro far. That That's who you're getting, which you can get 150 picks later. So it's uh, it's one of those, do you want to take the gambles? I don't know if I'll be in the wet Merrifield basket this year, unless spring training, we see some massive philosophy changes from a Mike Matheny. Who's your next guy you got wrong?
0: Oh, and one one funny note on Matheny. I think he took like an anal- a baseball analytics course. At a college or something like that, I saw somebody oh, wow. report that he um, that he took some sort of a- analytics class, which I thought was uh, which is great. Um, I'll have to I'll look for the tweet later because there's nothing more enjoyable on a podcast than somebody looking for searching for something <laughs> online. Uh, so my number two, three I got wrong. Um, uh, Cattell Marte, um, I didn't own any shares of Marte. Um, so, you know, and I think there was a number of people who, who saw, who saw the promise of Marte and, and went with him and, and kudos to those folks. I was not one of them. Uh, you know, I didn't have him like super far back, but I just wasn't on him. And so I didn't end up with him in any leagues. Uh, the stat cast numbers have always been pretty intriguing because his max exit velocity is surprisingly high. Like it's one of the highest in baseball for a guy with a tiny frame and great contact skills. But what I didn't see coming was his ground ball rate dropped by 8%, which is massive. I mean, an 8% drop in ground ball percentage, that's got to be one of the biggest uh drops uh season to season. Um And so that's huge. And I think that contributed some to the power uh, and to the barrel rate shooting up. I think it ended up above 8%. His hard hit rate was up 6%. So I think there's a lot to love about Marte just in terms of the contact profile, the fact that a lot of that power, Yes, some of it was probably improved by the juice ball, but the Statcast data was always there in terms of max exit velocity. I think he's just optimizing launch angle a little bit more, um, and so you know I, I'm not somebody who thinks that he's going to be a huge regression guy. You know, he may not replicate what he did with home runs this year, but I still see him as kind of a mid twenties uh, home run guy. And and if the speed ever comes to fruition one of these seasons, along with the batting average due to that high contact rate, he could be. Uh, he could be – I mean, he's already something special this year, but he could be really, um, truly uh, incredible.
1: 100% agree. I'm a, I'm a big Cattell Marte fan. Got him on the pitcher's list. Mock, uh, we, we're a part of right now. So no problem with him at all. I did not have him last year, though. tell you that much. So mm-hmm. I'm 100% with you on that one. This next one for me will be super easy. He was my fourth second baseman this past year, ranked. He finished 106th in the Rasball Ball Player Raider because – Well, he didn't finish the season in Major League Baseball. Uh, Scooter Jeanette was not good. That's – you can break it down. His hard hit rate dropped 7%. His strikeout rate jumped 10%. Barrel rate dropped tremendously. He could barely barrel a baseball. Every stat you could look at was just – I don't know what happened to the man. The last two seasons were amazing uh, for what he could do for you in Great American Small Park. I wrote an article comparing him to Robinson Cano, because he's going about 10 to 15 picks behind Cano, and how they're pretty much the same player, and Jeanette's younger and has the potential to get even better. That obviously didn't happen. So I don't know what happened to Jeanette. I'm curious to see where he lands next year, if he lands anywhere, because he's still only – he's going to be 30 years old this next next May. He's super young still. So there, there's still some more baseball to be played with him unless something completely broke. But uh, Scooter Jeanette – was the second guy I got wrong and I don't have a whole lot more to say besides that was just a gigantic swing and a miss
0: yeah yeah that was a tough one I I had him ranked pretty high too so I could have added him to my my enormous list at second base of guys that I missed on (laughs) um but yeah I mean I I wonder how much of it was the injury it's not like 2018 was some kind of fluke like he had done that previously in 2017 as well Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if injury was a little bit of the, of the fact of the impact there, but he's also like a guy who has succeeded a lot in, um, one of the best ballparks in baseball. And so I think, um, you know, if, if he leaves, he leaves Cincinnati or when he leaves Cincinnati, I think, uh, it could be a little bit challenging uh, for him. All right. Who's your third one? My third one is, well, I have a combo here because there's so many, but I did uh, Glaber Torres and Daniel Murphy. These were actually probably should have been number one, Um, but uh, (laughs) Torres, you know, I thought the draft day cost was, was too high. It's not that I was down on him, but I was just kind of flabbergasted that he was going in kind of the 50 to 60 range in ADP when I felt like there was a bunch of better players available there, like Daniel Murphy. Um, but he uh he produced a very strong season. Obviously, he improved his contact rate uh, by three and a half percent while maintaining pretty much the rest of the profile, which was already solid to begin with. His ground ball percentage did go up, but um, still at a really nice 37 percent. So, uh, Torres, uh, kudos to you. He's just he just seems like a gamer, like a guy who uh is just great at the game of baseball. So, um, you know, I'll probably be down on him again next year because I have a, I have a bias against the Yankees, but um, you know, he's uh he turned out really well. And then Murphy on the other hand was a guy going in a similar range who I had on a couple teams who just ag- absolutely bombed. Um, you know, the not even the batting average was there. Uh, the power wasn't there. Um, you know, he definitely was injured throughout the course of the season. So you know, he may be a little bit of a value here coming into this season, as long as he gets playing time. But by the end of the season, it was brutal. He was a platoon. He was a platoon bat. Um, and just not producing anything. His ground ball was up uh, considerably from previous years, which he's kind of the launch angle guy. So it'll be interesting to see what Murphy can do this upcoming season, but he was a huge bust uh, for me this year. How about you? You're your number three.
1: Yeah. My number three is Daniel Murphy as well. It's uh I had him ranked right behind Scooter Jeanette. I had Daniel Murphy fifth. If you want to get even more fun, I had Travis Shaw sixth. So um yeah, so yeah, did so I.
0: Like, I had Travis Shaw up there. We already used him up though at third base. Yes. <laughs> yes, we did
1: I just I started I, I pulled up my rankings today to,
0: to put my
1: names on it. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is disgusting. But um yeah, Daniel Murphy missed that one big time. I think most people miss that one, though. It makes me kind of feel a little better about yeah. it because Everybody had high hopes with him going into Colorado. We knew he could swing. We've seen his recent numbers. They expected a good average, the Coors bump. They expected all the good stuff. So with the Coors bump and the bouncy ball, he still only had 13 homers. It was dreadful. Like you said, uh, a lot of the the ground balls and all that stuff just dropped like crazy. And it was overall just bad. You you hit on pretty much all of it. It was a a rough go for Murphy. We'll see. He still uh, got a deal there, but playing time could be – quite the issue like you're hitting at there because it's Colorado and they started actually use young guys towards the end so we'll see if that carries over to this next season as things get going let's head to the shortstop position now let's start with three guys we got right at the shortstop position who was your number one
0: my number one was Xander Bogart uh, Bogart was a guy that I was all over heading into this year um, I had him on a bunch of teams he was my Um, including TGFBI and my successful main event team. Uh, I just, I loved everything about the profile for Bogarts. I thought health was really the, really the the only issue that was keeping him back. And, um, he definitely came through. I don't know though, how much I'm going to be into him this year. I mean, I love Bogarts. I just love, 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 uh, Bogarts, but you know, like the stolen bases weren't really there this year. And so, you know, the batting average is solid. The contributions overall are solid. But if Mookie gets moved, you know, the lineup's a little bit worse. And so I just don't think there's a ton of upside uh, going where he's going. Like, he has to repeat what he did last year, which is not to say that he, he won't do that. But he had a number of career highs there. And so... I probably won't be into him next year, but for this year, he was, he was pure gold and I was happy to, uh, to love him.
1: Yeah. The X-Man is a special guy and he's still going at a pretty good
0: value. Like you said, not
1: to go a little higher, but just shortstop so deep that he can be quite interesting there in the middle of that order. Mookie yeah, could make things interesting for sure. But uh, Xander is a heck of a ball player. My first one I'll talk about is Alex Bregman. This is a guy I was a big on took him in uh, the, the barf draft really early in that draft I uh, I loved everything about Bregman, the whole gamer mentality. I know he rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but you know, he hit 296, raises average even more this year. Ten more homers with the bouncy ball up to 41. Everything he did was great. He might be the MVP by the time we record next week. He's gonna be one of the finalists. I'm not say he's gonna win it, but he might be the MVP. What he did on the field was great. And he did it with the crazy part, he did it with a 281 Babip. Um that that's pretty wild. I know there's been tons and tons of discussion about how, you know, he pulls the ball a lot, doesn't, you know, get a, you know, a 5.4% barrel. It's 41 home runs. His barrels dropped 2.2%. And he had 10 more home runs. But he's got a massive pull rate, does it more on the road than at home, as you pointed out the other day. So he's just one of those kind of interesting cats. He walked four more time, 4% more of the time. Almost a, He's got a 17.2% walk rate. Everything he does at the plate was great. Uh, maybe he walks more because they have a great system in Houston. I don't know. Yeah. But um, – <laughs> you never know it had to be child. said it had to be said yes. I, I had to get it out there it was uh, it was necessary but uh, yeah the kid is a freak he gets better and better each season and every year it's like the offseason comes around and people start picking his metrics and he can't do this he can't do that and he just gets better eventually he can't get better anymore but he can still be very very good I think Bregman can be that guy and I think he should have third base and shortstop eligibility if I am correct because he played a lot of shortstop when correa was out um yeah he had 65 games at shortstop so yeah he'll get both this upcoming season i I liked him a lot got him this is one of the ones I did get right and uh, I'd like him again next year it's just it's always so hard Toby to take him where he's going and draft of the players that are around him and for a guy like you that takes pictures early you probably will never get an out Brightman share and um other people you either want the power maybe more stolen base guys
0: if you're not taking pitching and it's tough with bregman so yeah we'll see well i will have a share because i have him in a dynasty league oh there you go an obp dynasty uh beautiful so it is it is beautiful um but yeah I, i will miss not having bregman on any of my teams but that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes
1: yep 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 who's your number two
0: Uh, My number two is Jorge Polanco. So I really loved the Polanco-Semian-Simmons group. I mentioned that earlier on the podcast. I ended up getting a lot of Polanco and Semian this year. Those were the two shortstops that I owned the most. Um, And so for Polanco, we saw a little bit, I think it was, what was it, August of 2018, of 2017, I want to say, because I think in 2018, He was suspended for the first half, but he's always had solid contact skills, the possibility for hitting for that high batting average. But um, the concern was whether, you know, you could hit for any power. But this year he had one of the lowest ground ball percentages, um, 29.2%, which is great. He always hits a ton of line drives um, very consistently, which is going to help the average. He slowed down a little bit, hard hit rate increased by 7%. Um, but he slowed down a little bit in the second half like he just had set it set at torrid pace to begin the season but those stats count and when all is said and done he ended up with just a really really uh, nice uh, season and going you know kind of between picks like 170 and 200 uh, brought in some some incredible value i wish he stole a little bit more um, I probably won't own him a ton heading into this year again but um, for this year I, uh, another guy I was i was happy to be uh, high on how about you? Who's your, yeah, who's your number
1: two? Yeah, I'm a big Polanco fan with you. and I want him to steal more also, but it's probably hard to steal when
0: your guys hit like 300 totally. runs. So it yeah. makes life a little difficult there. And that's what people uh, need to think about, I think, with like guys like uh, Polanco, guys like Eddie Rosario, who I love, we all know. Um, guys like uh, Alex Bregman, who, who you just covered. Like These guys are on teams now where if the ball is the same ball that it was earlier this year or similar to it, people are not going to see an incentive in stealing bases on teams with that much power in the middle of their lineups. And so just be, just, just uh, be conservative in those full and base estimates um, until we, you know, until we know what ball there it's going to be, that's played with. And that I don't think is going to be until those first couple games of the season. So.
1: Yeah. We'll know the first week or so, but uh, my, my number two is Ahmed Rosario. I had him as my 15th shortstop off the board. People thought I was crazy. I took him late DGFBI and a few other leagues. 15 homers, 19 steals, hit 287. This kid's really, really good. He's once like the, one of the top prospects. He's going to be 24 years old next month in November. He's going to get better and better. When they started hitting towards the top of the order, he'd have some big games. He'd hit lefties really, really well. The kid keeps developing. Like People were starting to write him off because he wasn't getting it done. The hit tool has taken time to develop. We saw it this year. But the one thing he's done well and what I loved about him, you know, in seven, 2017, if you include his minor leagues, 26 steals. He had 24 steals in 18, 19 steals in 19. I think he can get even more steals. I think he's good for 20-plus. He's still going to pick 140 or later in a lot of a lot of uh, drafts, the early mock drafts we're looking at here. And he was the 94th percentile sprint speed. The dude is fast, super, super fast. The hit tool still needs work, but it keeps increasing each year. His barrel rates gone up. Each of the last three seasons, launch angle keeps going up. His hard hit rate keeps going up. His strikeout rate keeps dropping. While his walk rate, at least it goes up or stays the same. So the overall approach to the play gets better and better, which I love to see as this kid, like I said, still super young. He's going to be on a good Mets team as Pete Alonso gets better. Michael Conforto maybe puts a full year together. Brandon Nimmo hopefully puts a full year. J.D. Davis. All these young kids there in New York with the pitching staff they have there. There's a lot that I like with the Med Rosario. He's a guy I, I was very focused on late in drafts. I laughed. It's one of those things I like to do because, you know, we're, uh, we're like in that little smaller corner of fantasy analyst that we we know what we're talking about, but we don't have the big cliche, like, you know, cachet that others do. So when I see articles come out midway through the season about guys, I'm like, yeah, I was on him like six months ago. But uh, th- this was one of them. Ahmed Rosario was one of them. So uh, big, big fan of Ahmed. And I will be looking at him again this year at 140. It might be tricky, but I do like him quite a bit.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a great shout. I think he made improvements in a lot of different areas. So kudos to you for, for getting that one, right? I only, I think I only owned him in like one spot this year.
1: Nice. The next guy you have is pretty solid though.
0: Uh, Yes. The next guy I have is very solid. Um, And that's Marcus Semyon. Semyon was with Polanco, the shortstop that I think I owned in the most places. Um, I ended up, kind of leaning towards him as drafts approached. Uh, if you dig into some of his, uh, his trends, like towards the end of last year, um, he was showing really good plate discipline, really elite contact, and he was starting to hit the ball um, in the air a little bit more. And so for that reason, I was kind of leaning his direction a little bit. And Obviously, we got just an incredible year. I don't even think I fully appreciated it, even though I had him. On so many different teams, I don't think I fully appreciated how good his year was until it was over. And then I was like, "You hit 33 home runs, 123 runs. Like, it's just a totally, it's just a totally nuts season, you know, that he was able to put together and uh, remarkable. I mean, the you know the O swing was the best of his career at 23 percent contact rate, the best of his career at 83 percent. Both of those numbers are elite." Somebody put out a tweet recently that that was uh, I think it was Dana Coyne who worked at Driveline, which was like the the goal of it was to identify people who swung at like the best pitches, like who had the best eye, not just in terms of not swinging at pitches um, inside and outside the zone, but swinging at good good pitches to hit. And Semyon was up there uh, among the leaders. You know, he contributed those those double digit stolen bases, which he always does, and then the the strikeout and walk rate let's see if I can get this up really quickly in the second half. Oh, I guess in the second half, but there was a period of time where I was monitoring his 30 day trends and he had a higher walk percentage than a K percentage. I mean, the guy is just, he's, he's absolutely um, fantastic. And he is going to, um, I think he's a free agent after this upcoming year. Um, And so that he could be a really, a really big free agent guy uh in in 2021 but the played skills are unbelievable I anticipate that he's going to be really good next year
1: again too and it's pretty awesome that he's one of the, the three finalists for the AL MVP so Absolutely. it tells you everything that he did which is amazing and my, my final one here is it was kind of a cheat cheat here but it, it kind of goes in line with the major Zario. you mentioned Polanco Simi, and Adamas but just the bottom half or bottom quarter of my top 20 We're all guys I was good drafting if I didn't get anybody up top. Like, I was good waiting because it showed how deep the position was. Uh, Willie Adamas, I'll talk about him since we talked about Simeon and Polanco already. In the second half, he improved. He hit almost 280 in the second half to finish with a 254 average on the season. He had 10 homers on both halves of the season. So, 20 home runs, four steals. He's looking more and more polished at the plate as the season went on. Uh, Steamer has him at 256, 18 homers, seven steals. Pretty similar to what he did this year for the most part. I think he's still get better. He's another guy like Rosario. He's going to be 25 here pretty soon. And you look at his stat cast numbers, they've improved each of the last two seasons since he's had his stat cast numbers measured in all the right areas. You're looking for improvement from a young hitter. So I think there's another level or two maybe or three to Willie Adamas. This kid's really good. Similar to Rosario, a big-time prospect at a shortstop position on this Rays Club where they have no reason not to play him every day. So uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing what he can bring to the plate here. He, he should have like double digit steal upside with maybe fifteen plus homer upside, and, and hit for a good average. He's easily like a two seventy to two eighty hitter in the minors. If he can get you about a two seventy five with twenty homers and fifteen stolen bases, as late as you can get him in drafts, you'll be super happy about that one. So it just goes back to show you how deep the position was compared to second base. There was a lot to like at the bottom end of the shortstop position that allowed you to get different early on in your drafts, and we'll kind of see how it plays out, but. Right now, we're seeing a, a lot of shortstops still going pretty late. Um, again, we're going to recap the, the pitcher list mocks next week. But Gene Segura just went like around 14th or 15th. So it just shows you how deep yeah. shortstop is right now.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I love the Adama shout.
1: All right, let's talk about three guys we got wrong. Who's your first one?
0: All right, I think the first one I'm going to have is uh, Elvis Andrews. Um, I was high on Andrews in 2018, um, which ended poorly. <laughs> <laughs> had him in a couple places, um, and then in 2019, I was kind of out on him, and uh, he's another guy who just kind of snuck up on me. Like I had no idea that he ended up stealing more than 30 bases this year, which where he was going in drafts is just absolutely incredible. I mean, he's like that's like essentially Whit Merrifield, right? <laughs> uh, he was yeah, essentially much. What, what you were hoping for from Whit Merrifield, but yeah, pick you know 150 or 200 or even later. And so I bought into the narrative around like after the injury he stopped stealing. Maybe you know he was slowing down. Maybe I think his sprint speed was down too. Um, maybe you know he just didn't feel like it was worth it anymore with the injury to the elbow. But I think what makes more sense intuitively is just that he had an, an injured elbow and he didn't want to slide or or uh, or put it into any type of um, in, into harm's way, especially with the team not really competing. And so he just stopped stealing. And so you know again like it'll be interesting to see where he goes but Steamer has him projected for a 268 batting average 14 home runs 22 stolen bases i mean with you know 70 plus runs in rbi that's going to be another solid value and i don't even know i don't even think he's gone in our pitcher list i don't know where he went in mock drafts but um, you know and again the two probably... early
1: mock two early two early mocks he went around pick 130 give or take
0: oh did he okay so he did move up uh, maybe i'm just I, I was just oblivious to him Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, – it's. Uh, I was definitely wrong on, on Andrews, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll own that.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect the, to be that productive this year either. So, I'm with you on that, but I remember he finished it up very strong in the heat of Texas. Uh, my first one is Manny Machado. I was pounding my chest before he even got signed that I don't care where he signs. He's Manny Machado, and he's going to be great. That's just what he's going to do. And he did it his fifth straight year of 30-plus homers. He had 32. Dropped five from the previous year. His run production was down. Uh, his batting average went from 297 to 256. He had 259 two years ago. People forget that. So he had that drop off as well. Only five steals. If you look at his steamer numbers, they have him back up at 37, 94, 98, and a 271. I'll take that. I'll be there because you're going to get a discount on Machado. If you look at the two early mocks right now, um, he went pick 37 right behind Merrifield, Right before uh, Cattell Marte. So, so I'm going to keep in mind there, but you look at his stat cast numbers, you know, he had a 10 and a half and an 11.3% barrel last two years. This past year, 8%. That's a massive drop off. His hard hit rate went from 48 to 43.7 K rate went up 5%. Uh, I don't know if he was pressing because he was the new man in San Diego or what it exactly was. Like you look at his pull numbers went down. His, uh, where's his, there's his, his chase rate was about the same. So you can't really go too far into that, but just, some, some of the initial looks on things were not good when it comes to Manny Machado when he was in his first year in San Diego. He's got many more to go, so time to figure it out. He'll be turning 28 next year. I think a nice bounce back's coming for him after that first year of a free agency, new team, time to really get it going in San Diego with Fernando Tatis and company. So I think he's a very good bounce back candidate. You'll get a value. He's going about a round or two later than he was in 2019, but he is one I definitely got wrong last season. Who's your second one?
0: Uh, Andrelton Simmons is the, the next one. Obviously, if I'm going to tout the, t- the two of the three that I got, right, I got to tout the one that I got wrong. Um, you know, Simmons looked like a solid, you know, contributor from a batting average perspective. He's never really had a ton of power, but he steals some bases. Um, just kind of like mediocre at everything, which, uh, except for batting average, which he's, you know, generally fairly good at. Uh, but this year he really struggled. he was obviously injured, but only seven home runs, which you know in a regular year, if you can get to double digits, it's not as bad. but given the context that we're in this year, I mean that's um, you know that hurts your team a lot. The ten stolen bases is not uh is not anything to write home about. It's obviously like a helpful contribution, but there's plenty of guys that were going later than him where you could get ten stolen bases with that little power. And then, you know, so part of it was the injury, but also just underperformed across the board and in key categories. And I think for that reason, he was a big, um, he was definitely a big, a big letdown. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes in drafts next year. But I think given the power atmosphere that we're in, it's tough to take a, take a, take a gamble on a guy who doesn't seem to have a ton of upside. So I was definitely wrong on, on, uh, on Simmons. And um, it's a bummer because, you know, he's obviously an incredibly fun, player to watch just from a defensive perspective
1: it was kind of surprising to see him take a step back last year after how well things were going for him the previous seasons maybe maybe get him a value in 220 um my number two is Jose peraza something about the uh, middle infield for cincinnati really got me this year i wasn't like over the moon but i had him i had him 12th on my shortstop list i I had him as a middle to later round stolen base target you know he had three straight years of 20 plus stolen bases Uh, i thought there was gonna be more to come there he played in 141 games, had six homers, seven steals, hit 239. He had the bottom 5% in uh, hard contact rate and barrel rate and so on and so forth. He went to the minors. It was dreadful. I don't know what happened there. It was bad. Like we talked about him on a previous episode, so I won't go too deep into it. But his overall numbers are just atrocious. And another young guy, I don't know what went wrong there. Maybe Sandy. Maybe Cincinnati, you know, they spent all that money to help their pitching staff. Maybe they need to find somebody to help their hitting. I don't know. But uh, it was dreadful. Also, they hitting you know, Suarez. They need some help there. Uh, and uh, Perrazzo is when I got very, very wrong. Who is your third one?
0: My third one, I think, is a guy that I'm actually super into this year, speaking of depth at shortstop. Uh, and that's Tim Anderson from the White Sox. I've always been out on Anderson just because the approach is so bad. I mean, he's got one of the worst O-swings in the game, um, you know, and I think that colors a lot of um, – a lot of my interpretation of how he's doing, but, you know, the contact rate is, uh, is high. Um, I mean, it's like at-league average um, overall because he swings at so many pitches outside the zone. But um, in the zone, it is uh, very high, close to 90%. And he's so aggressive. He swings at so many pitches that he doesn't strike out that much. And we saw his strikeout rate go down to 21%. So well below league average, the hair, the walk per- percentage is a grotesque 2.9%. But I think, you know, when you look at um, the performance over the last three years, you know, the the batting average is good for the first time. But I think with the improvement in the contact rate of 3.3% increase there, um, you know, the BABIP not going to be 399 again, but career it's 345. So I think you're looking at like a 280 hitter. And I think he's going to go 2020. If you, um, if he is able to, you know, have a full season, if he gets to those 600 plate appearances um, and, you know, I love it. He's only 26. He even had a quote earlier this year about how, um, you know, how like he'd never really been taught how to hit before, like as he was going through the White Sox system, which is kind of an indictment of their player development system, but um, you know, is also just like, you know, he's still learning and, Uh, I think there's a lot to like in that profile. I think there's a lot of room for growth, you know, decreasing the ground ball percentage, um, you know, so hitting some more fly balls. Uh, But uh, all in all, I think he's a guy who's undervalued because the approach is so bad, but he's been able to show pretty consistently that he's a 2020 guy um, uh, when healthy. Uh, So that's, that's a profile that, that I like, especially going around pick 100 or so, which, I think is about where he is um, going right now in a, in a lot of drafts.
1: Definitely a guy to keep an eye on. I, I took him two years ago in my last pick in uh, TGFBI. Didn't get him this past year, but I'm a big fan of him. And you should be as well because he is the king of the bat flips. So, oh, um, yeah. He, he's definitely, he's definitely, be, definitely
0: hashtag team bat flip.
1: Yeah, he's definitely hashtag team bat flip. But he embraces it. He loves to tweet it out and stuff. Uh, I love, love it. He's one of the kids that's trying to make baseball fun again. So. Uh, big fan of him. The guy, the third guy I got wrong is Gene Segura. I had him in my top ten at shortstop. I really loved him going to Philadelphia. Average drop, he was 300 hitter for previous two years. Finished 280 this past year, but it was kind of the Whip Merrifield thing. And the the power was there, the runs were there. But you know, back to back 20 plus stolen base seasons. Actually, if you go back to 16, he had five straight years of 20. No, six, seven. Oh my goodness. If you include if you include uh, minor league seasons, he's basically had twenty or more stolen bases every year except last year. Last year he had ten stolen bases, and that's uh, not where you're drafting him for. His value has dropped down quite a bit. He's down to pick uh, one forty-seven in the two early mocks. He's the twenty-sixth player uh, shortstop rated on the Rasball Player Rater, and we just look at his overall numbers. His stat cast numbers just dropped tremendously. It's, he, the bouncy ball did not affect him because well, his, his hard hit rate's the same. His strikeout rate went up just a tad, but just his overall hard hit rate wasn't great, thirty-two percent. His barrel rate's only three percent. Uh wasn't a lot to love there. He wasn't taking advantage of what he needed to do. Uh he wasn't he, he was just getting on base and kind of pedaling around. Maybe it's the new philosophy in Philadelphia with uh well with what was Gabe Kapler there. I brought him up, don't worry about it. Um ah, maybe,
0: you had to. You had maybe they were
1: gonna run with Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins and all these and Rio Muto there now maybe they took his legs away, which would be crazy to trade for him and not let him run. But maybe that was something to be done with it, something to keep an eye on this next year. He could he either be massive value uh, where he's going. Like I said, I'd have to double-check the two, uh, the pitcherless mocks. We'll recap those next week. But he went pretty late in those mock drafts, uh, and he's going right around, like I said, 147. Uh, Paul de is going like four picks later. You have a, few, a couple of other guys that are going pretty close to him that uh, you'd be surprised. Gavin Lux is like 10 picks after him. Would you rather have Gavin Lux next year or Gene Segura? Uh,
0: Gavin Lux, I think.
1: Okay, that would be a fun discussion for later on. Uh, um, yeah. That'll be good. I'm just curious because that's good. But uh, yeah, Gene Segura, uh, maybe maybe he's fallen in many people's eyes and it's not just a one-year thing, but I, I'd be willing to go back to that well if the price tag keeps dropping the way it is because
0: I think he's much better than it
1: showed this past season.
0: Yeah, and he's only 29. He's not like super old so
1: i think this is a trend on the shows we've recapped things that we've failed with young kids and i think that's one thing is you can expect young kids to have ups and downs those they're still developing their game and then that's why you shouldn't be as surprised if the next season they blow up again because what we saw was there they're just young and still you know they're always getting tweaked here tweaked there, trying to figure things out like you mentioned with tim anderson not even being taught how to hit there's a lot of these kids a lot of these, like, uh, you know, foreign kids that aren't from, uh, you know, north of the border or like, they're all from south of the border, basically, that um, don't probably have the proper technique and tools and all that kind of stuff. And then when they get up here, what worked for them down there that probably could still work for them in the bigs, all these instructors now are trying to change them. So it, there, there's a lot to be said about that. And it wouldn't be shocked if a lot of these guys we got wrong bounce back and maybe some of the guys we got right
0: aren't quite there this next year.
1: And that's the beauty of it all. And that's why they played this wonderful game called fantasy baseball.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's just like the, the player development systems. I think so much is so much of how players perform. And I think we see it more and more now is the, is the systems that they're, that they're yep. drafted into. Right. And like, whether those, those systems can add value. Like, I think I was listening to the rates and barrel podcast and, Eno, uh, Saris and DVR were talking about how like, a guy like Lucas Giolito had to go outside the system yep. to improve, right? He had to go back to his high school coach to improve, and that there's kind of like a, a very consistent pattern of players, in especially in the White Sox, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, like uh, underperforming and not developing. And I feel like there's so many teams where that's the case, where yeah. there's so many guys who have potential, but they're not. Uh, the coaching staff and uh, throughout the the organization is not implementing kind of best practices or what we know to be uh, the most, uh, most effective thing, like, you know, whether it's hitting the ball in the air more, um, you know, uh, or, uh, wh- whatever it is. And so, you know, I think that's something to consider as you draft players is like the system that they're in and whether they have a history of producing guys like Willie Adamas, who you covered before, you know, Adamas is, is showing all the signs of a breakout guy. And he's with the Rays who have been able to make players better consistently. And so that for me is a guy like, I'm going to be targeting him as my middle infielder on my bench a ton, because I think there's a lot of upside and the cost will be low. And there's like that history of, uh, of getting there. And so, you know, I think that's, that is like the, the real, the real key there. And then I think the last thing I would say is it's just regression, right? Is like some guys have these outstanding seasons that are the best seasons of their career. And should we expect them to have that best season of their career again? Probably not. Um, you know, and so just being able to understand, like, you know, those guys who had really great seasons are going to see their ADPs go up. The guys who had worse seasons are going to see their ADPs go down. And if you still think that their performance level is is whatever that mean is, if they're below the mean for a season, then you know you want to you want to be be there when they kind of get back to that that mean performance level.
1: And anyway, the regret- that
0: was my long diatribe about uh player development systems and regression to the mean well
1: the, the player development's bad because you know last year luke weaver talked about you to buy his own rapsodo machine because st louis didn't know what one was and it taught him how you saw that that made him a better pitcher at arizona before he got hurt you got the stories of just uh, justin turner going back to his own hitting coach and learning how to hit again it's weird how all these guys have to do these kind of things it, it's really bizarre like you're saying and that's, I guess, why systems like driveline and stuff are making all kinds of money now, and getting hired everywhere because the the players are going to them because the systems don't want to build them themselves now. They're now they're hiring them to come do it for them. Uh, totally. And there's there's a lot to be said about that, and, and regression is true because uh, I mentioned it earlier. I look it up. Johnny VR on the two early mocks went a pick thirty uh, average. I pick thirty nine, and you know if you look at middle infielders. Uh, with, uh, Jose Altuve went about five picks or ten picks earlier. Marisfield about five, uh, five picks. tell Marte three. Glaber Torres went right after him. Uh, there, there's a lot of interesting picks there where it's going to be tough to uh, to pull the old VR uh, trigger. Uh, Machado is like four picks higher. As much as I love VR, and I'm not saying I won't do it because I do believe that you need to be aggressive on steals. I, I am that guy, even though it could be wrong. I just don't know if I can pay that price for John VR. So it'll be interesting to see where that keeps changing as the uh, season gets going here. Definitely. All right. What are your final thoughts on the middle infield position from 2019 looking ahead to 2020?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about it before, but I think you can wait on shortstop. Like if you, um, you know, if you are early on in a draft and you've got two similar players and one's a shortstop and one isn't, I I would lean towards the non shortstop. In our uh, pitcher list expert mock drafts, which we're in the midst of and I think we're going to talk about next week, you know, I picked up two very early on. So I went Cole and then Bieber, uh, as you as I want to do. Uh, and then I went Mondesi and Baez because I felt like they were values. But I was kind of kicking myself later on because as these really strong shortstops just kept on falling. I mean, they're still there. Like, I don't, I don't know if Elvis Andrews has been even drafted yeah he
1: got picked at a uh, brent hershey round 16
0: yeah he gets picked in like the 16th round you know um uh yeah, look at after a second look, baseman then like paul, paul DeYoung. It like
1: it's crazy go ahead yeah i was gonna say DeYoung. i was gonna say yeah look at after andres DeYoung, segura biggio Just a list of all these guys
0: totally ahmed rosario in the ninth tim anderson in the 10th yeah. now this is a 12 team draft even marcus Semien goes in the 11th and i think that's one of the challenges of these of the mock drafts is a lot of the drafting systems are based on player ranks from the previous season. And so unless Mm -hmm. you are not saying that I'm not incredibly thorough with my, um, with my research in mock drafts, but like unless you're generating values to make sure you don't miss guys, sometimes you miss guys who are lower down in the rankings from the previous season. And I think that's probably what happened with Semyon. And I already had my two shortstops. And there's no, and my utils were already filled up. And so I didn't go after Semyon, even though he was just looking uh, so good where he went in the draft. So I just think you can wait. Willie Adamas probably isn't going to be drafted in the top, you know, 276. Maybe I'll snag him there. Maybe you'll snag him there. But you can really wait on shortstop um, and on middle infielder because of that depth at shortstop. And so I think, again, like not that you wouldn't choose a guy early on, like a Lindor or something like that because he's a shortstop. But just if you're if you are finding yourself looking at two similar guys, you know, similar profiles at different positions, I would I would I would I would go with the non shortstop. So I think that's one thing that I kind of take away. Uh, I think another is just to make sure you're familiar with your league's position eligibility because there's a lot of shifting. So Baez, for instance, Javi Baez last year was. I think eligible at shortstop, second, and third base maybe, like three positions. Mm-hmm. He's only shortstop eligible heading into this season, which is a little bit of a different case for him. A guy like Danny Santana, who is eligible at a lot of different places, um, is only uh, is not eligible at second base anymore. Lourdes Gurriel, who you covered earlier, uh, is no longer eligible at second base or middle infielder. So just being making sure that as you go into drafts, you know um, that you are uh, familiar as you think about your strategy with who is actually available at those positions um, and who is not. For second base, I think it's one of the shallowest positions in terms of top end talent. Um, there's some decent guys that are available a little bit later, like picks 100 to 150, who can fill holes. Guys like a Mike Mustakis, if you're low on power and RBIs, depending again on where he ends up and what that situation is like. Or else there's guys with I think a lot of volatility guys like Kevin Biggio, who I like a lot, um, but, you know, is also a guy who could hit 210 uh, for your team. And so I would not want to be in a situation where I have not filled in my second base position, um, you know, in the 100, first 150 picks or so. Like, that's a position that I think I'm going to want to address earlier on. Um, you know, and you can always, you can always wait, right? Like, it's always a value proposition. And opportunity cost of going with this one position versus this other position and what's available later on replacement value so on you know but i really i think second base is just a, a shallow one for me and i think that's the case with a lot of these infield positions that we've gone through and maybe it's just the way that all positions are but it just feels like you know once you get outside of picks 100 there's there's a lot of uh a lot of tough choices and not so great choices so I love middle infield o- overall, just because there's a plethora of shortstops. Uh, I don't love second base. I think I'm going to try to address it early on by picking Aussie Albie's in every single draft, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it heading into to next season. But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see like once the shuffle is done and we know what, who's slotting in at second base, like uh, what where some value picks are there. What do you uh, what are your kind of final thoughts on on middle infield position heading into next year?
1: Yeah, shortstop super, super deep. And like you mentioned with second base not being so deep. I took uh Catel in the fourth round to uh to knock that one out in the pitcherless mock, but it's not always gonna work out that way. Ozzie Alves went two picks after him. So he, he's gonna be a target of many. I think just like you were saying, is you wanna get someone up there. But there's like some guys Keston here up could be interesting. I, I always love uh Mike Mustakis. Kevin Bijou, I'm with you. I like him a lot, but you never know. There's going to be some interesting interesting uh, discussion points at second base, but it does drop off rather quickly. It almost makes you wish you could just play three middle infielders, and not worry about the position, and make it all shortstop or something. Yeah. That, that'd that be a, a lot of fun because shortstop is super, super deep, and it's going to be just a lot of fun this year. Uh, again, as it's going to be that way for a while, it brings back the days of um, you know, Ripken, A-Rod, Jeter, all, all those guys playing shortstop for a while there. That was, that was a lot of fun in the all-star game. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. And uh, we'll, we'll discuss it and break it down more next week in the uh, the pitcher list recap as we're in round 18 of 23. So I'd imagine by next Monday, we'll have this thing done. I'd hope to God we have this thing done by next Monday. I think Nick Pollock hopes we have it done by next Monday. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to see where it all uh, pans out. There's still a lot of teams that, like, as a Giants fan, I'm not 100% sure he's playing second base yet. If it's going to be Dubon, which it should be. But that's a whole, That's another guy that hasn't been drafted yet, who I like. But do you really want to gamble on a Giants player? I guess if you're desperate, probably not. Um, there are a bunch of guys that haven't been taken yet, so we'll have to see how it all plays out as it keeps going. All right, Toby, that'll wrap us up with another edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip. Any closing thoughts, fantasy thoughts, anything along those lines before we wrap it up?
0: Uh, not really. The first drafts of the first real drafts that count uh, have started up over at NFBC. I think there's some draft champions going on. I'm trying to uh, you know, <laughs> hold back and not join too soon, but I do think having an early draft under your belt just to get a sense of where the players are going, uh, maybe be able to get ahead of the curve in terms of uh, drafting some guys that uh, maybe you expect to see a little bit more helium as we get closer to the season and more people dive in on. I think it's fun and it's also helpful for research. So I'm I may dive into one of those, but it's been a lot of fun to do the the mock drafts. I've been enjoying that. Appreciate Nick inviting both of us to participate in those, and I'm looking forward to discussing it with you more uh, on the next podcast, as well as talking to you more about Gabe Kapler.
1: Yes, there'll be tons of Gabe Kapler talk. Just wait till end season when he screws up, because we'll be recording about the we'll start recording about by the fourth inning of most ball games. So it'll become bullpen situations when we're recording and it might get really fun. So uh, yeah, that'll always be interesting on a Monday night. uh, Good, good way to to start the week. Gabe Kapler fueling, fueling the ears of everybody out there. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll definitely break down the pitcher list next week and maybe we'll get in some NFPC. Maybe we'll do it. I was going to wait until January, but maybe, maybe we'll do something Uh before that. We'll see. Uh You might twist my arm. You know, I can't let you go in there alone. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm It's, all, it's all
0: sharks at this point, anyways, right? It's oh, all, I know. I right. see. I
1: see. I see everybody that's in it. And I'm like, do I even want to waste my time right now? It's like everyone's so damn smart. It's like you know, obviously we know we can compete with them, but it's like you're you're not helping yourself here. <laughs> so it's it's a little tricky, but we'll see. We'll see what uh, com- competitions and tournaments they got coming out there. Check all that out. But for now, check out Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. And go give us podcast, a rating and review. As always, I'm on Twitter at BDN. Go check out Bench with Bubba and do the same. But until next time, this is Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 13.
0: Catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up for episode 101 of the Bat Flip Crazy Podcast and episode 13 of Bubba and the Bat Flip. Uh, hope you enjoyed that little review of second base shortstop and middle infield from this past season. Guys, we got right. Guys, we got wrong. What we expect to happen heading into 2020. Uh, it's, it's middle November. There's already a lot of baseball chatter on Twitter, which is uh, awesome to see. I'm really, really excited uh, to continue diving in over the next few months into uh, our 2020 drafts and really to get uh, to get started on the 2020 season. It is right around the corner, even though it feels so far away. So thank you so much uh, for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball prep, all of your fantasy baseball research. Take, take care and be kind to one another.